0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon.
1: Guys, we're doing this series called Living for the Future Now. Now, we understand the future. I mean, if you've been in church for a while, you know that we believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to come back for his own. We also understand certain events that are going to take place with that coming. You have probably have heard that throughout your Christian lives. You've heard different teachings. You've heard different speakers, maybe on the radio. You maybe even have read books. And what we're doing, though, is not so much focusing on what's going to happen, but we're focusing on what does that mean for your life right now. And that's why we're really looking at Matthew 24 and 25. In the beginning part of Matthew 24, Jesus gives a very brief kind of overview of what's going to happen. He kind of explains what's going on right now. He understand, wants us to understand what's coming And then he goes from there talking about how we are to live with that information. Because the reality is, is that when you have information from the scripture for your lives, you've got to do something with it. And that's true of every area, not just with regards to the second coming, but with regards to anything that Jesus may show you in the scripture, what are you supposed to do with it? So we have a responsibility. So I'm going to give you again a couple of points here concerning responsibility. All right, so here's the first thing I want you to see. Information that you've received always requires something of you. This is true of anything. I've already mentioned that in the Bible, but it's also especially true when it comes to the issue of Jesus' second coming it always requires something of you. Now, what does that mean? So first of all, when you study the Bible, your purpose in studying the Bible is not that you know a lot. It's not that you can answer questions. Like when we have Sunday school, we have a lot of question time. It's not so that you can raise your hand and give an answer. I mean, that's nice, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is for you to do something With that in your life. Information that you have received from the scripture as the spirit shows you always requires something of you. If you've been reading Oswald Chambers in the devotional, we have that on the church app. We encourage you to read Oswald Chambers. If you've been reading over the last few days, he's been talking about this very same issue. I think it's very interesting. Talking about doing what God tells you to do. See, You and I are to do something with it. If you remember James chapter 1, he talks about hearing the word of God and, and don't be like somebody who looks in the mirror and then forgets what he sees, but rather hear and do what you hear. See, this is the point. You are to be responsible with what you know, and that's especially true when it comes to the second coming. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Understanding the future must impact your life now. Understanding the future must impact your life now. So what do you mean, George? Well, let's talk about it. Let's go through what we've already talked about through Matthew 24 and 25 already. So in Matthew 24... He tells us, don't be alarmed by what you see. What you see is just the beginning. It's the birth pangs or the Braxton Hicks is the technical medical term that's used now. It's the preparation for what's coming. Understand that. Understand what's coming along, what's going to happen, and then Jesus is going to come back suddenly. Nobody knows exactly when he's going to come back. So he's going to come back as a thief in the knife. And then he goes right on and he tells us that there are two types of responses. Remember we looked at that last time we were looking at this passage. Two types of responses. Those who are serious about it and those who are not serious about it. And those who are not serious about it they trivialize it. They're kind of caught off guard and they're not a part of the kingdom. It reveals that they truly didn't believe. See, It's got to change how you live your life now. You say, well, George, it's been a long time. I mean, this teaching, I mean, this gospel that we're looking at was written in the first century. Here we are in the 21st century. I mean, seriously? We've been holding on, I believe, in the coming, but I mean, I think we got time, right? Really? See, that's what's going on here in this passage. Jesus is telling us there's two responses, and then he proceeds to give us three parables. And We're going to look at the first of the parables today. Three parables to talk about how this teaching, this understanding that he's coming back should be changing and affecting your life right now. Now let me explain to you what a parable is. So when we read these parables, Jesus taught many times in parables, they were simplistic teachings conveying a greater truth. You don't tear apart the parable and try to figure out what does this part mean, what does that part mean. No, no, you look at the overall picture of what he's trying to convey in the truth because you can get yourself hung up trying to figure out the details of the parable when that's not necessarily what he's wanting you to see. He's wanting you to see something bigger. And I'll tell you what he's wanting you to see today because we're going to look at the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins. And the overall theme of what he's going to tell you is, are you ready? That's the issue. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Because he could come back at any time. Because remember, it's like a thief in a night. You don't know when somebody's showing up to rob you, right? Are you ready? So I want you to notice with me. Let's look at this passage together. Let's look at verse 1. We're just going to read the 13 verses together. And then we're going to take a look at what the truth is that he's trying to get us to see about how this should be impacting our lives. Look with me. First of all, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Isn't that interesting? Listen to what he said. Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And here's what Jesus says. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Wow. Let me explain to you what's going on here. First, I need to give you a little bit of background in Jewish culture to understand this parable. I think we all understand weddings in America, right? Right? Weddings in America, you know, you get engaged, you have all the preparations for the engagement, and then when you talk about the wedding weekend, you have a rehearsal where you go through everything, and there's a rehearsal dinner. Then the next day, of course, is the wedding. You have the wedding, and then, of course, there is the reception afterwards, and then you say adios to the bride and groom as they start their marriage, right? Isn't that how we do it? The Jewish culture was completely different. They would have a period of time called a betrothal period. And that is, basically, you were kind of married, but you were not. You were basically, as a female, when you were betrothed to a male, you were basically committed to marry him. And then what he would do is, is he would then go to his father's house and build on to the house. Build on to... The place where he is a place for he and his wife, because what would happen is is the bride would then go and join the groom's family, so he would add on to the house now that period of time, however long it took, was the betrothal period, and when he was done, he would gather his family, and then they would go and get the bride, and then there would be the big celebration, and she would join him, he would come for his bride and bring him back to his father's house. Isn't that interesting? That's very similar to a lot of things that Jesus said. What did he say? I go to prepare a house for you, a dwelling place for you. In my father's house there are many, we like to say because of the King James mansions, that's not the actual translation, dwelling places. So you've been waiting for a mansion? Actually, I think it would be greater just to be in God's house, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So this is the picture All right, so you understand the Jewish culture. So here's what's happening. We're going to take this passage in two parts. We're going to see two things here. First of all, we're going to see the wait. Because think about the gal. She's patrolled. She's got a wait. I hope he knows what he's doing when he's building that house, right? The wait. Jesus very clearly tells us there's a wait. And then we're going to see from there the last part, the sudden arrival. So let's talk about the wait. The wait. We see that in verses 1 to 5. Three things I want to point out here. Here's the first one. Very simplistic, right out of the text, tells you that the foolish and the wise are waiting for the bridegroom. So he's saying there's ten virgins. Don't look for any kind of significance in there being ten. I know some people like to get hung up in numbers. That's not the point here. The point is, he's picked a number. It's ten. He says half of them are foolish. Half of them are what? Wise. But they're both doing the same thing, waiting for the bridegroom to come back. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. So basically, he's saying here we have two groups of people who are waiting for the return the wise and the foolish. Isn't that interesting? We said earlier in chapter 24, the end of 24, there's two responses, right? The wise and the foolish. Again, Jesus is using the same thing here in this parable, trying to point out to you that there's a weight, but there's two types of people. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Preparation for the bridegroom determines your status as wise or foolish. Jesus makes a big point here. Look with me. Look at what it says here and verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps with them and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So how one is determined to be wise and one is determined to be foolish depends on how prepared they are for the reality of the bridegroom's coming. So the wise here were prepared. I remember being a Boy Scout, the Boy Scout motto be prepared. That was, you were supposed to live your life prepared. Actually, that's the Christian motto, isn't it? Be prepared. What? For Jesus coming back. And so the reality, what separates the wise from the foolish in this passage is whether or not they're prepared or making preparation with their life for who to come back? Jesus for the bridegroom. That's the point Jesus is making here. We've got two groups of people. One who's ready for them to come back. they got oil. And the other who is what? Foolish. Not ready at all. Now we come to verse 4 and 5. And this is what I think is interesting. Because Jesus is actually, excuse me, verse 5, Jesus is actually pointing something out that we've kind of forgotten. Look at what it says here. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, there's no significance here about them slumbering and sleeping. The wise sleep, the foolish sleep. That's not the issue. The first part tells us something. It says that while the bridegroom was delayed. Here's the point I want you to see about the wait. The wait for the bridegroom is long. See, every generation since the time of Jesus has been waiting for Jesus to come back. In fact, the early church... How many of you ever heard the word Maranatha or Maranatha? Have you ever heard that? There used to be a Christian music label called Maranatha. It was praise music and so forth. Have you ever heard that? Maranatha was a, is a Greek term basically meaning come. That was the cry of the early church. Come, Lord Jesus. So ever since the beginning of the church, they have been waiting patiently, hopefully. Hopefully you've been waiting patiently. Because the scripture tells you it's going to be awake. Because you don't know when he's coming. You don't know when the preparations will be done. You don't know when everything will line up for him to come. But you need to wait. Now, it, notice here, the issue isn't about slumbering. They're all sleeping. But one is ready, the other is not. Do you understand? That's what's going on here. One is ready, the other is not. That's the wait. You and I need to understand. So it's not like, oh, well, it's been 2,000 years. Where are you, Jesus? Is this for real? No. He said he was going to be delayed. In fact, when we get to the next parable, it says he's going on a journey and is delayed. But he'll come back at some point. Isn't it interesting? The wait for the bridegroom is long. So what we're experiencing, he told us was going to happen. The question is, Are you ready? Are you ready? Then that brings us to verse 6 through 13, which is where we're going to see the sudden arrival. Listen to what it says here. Look, first of all, with me at verse 6 through 9. Look at what it says. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for
0: yourselves.
1: Here's what I want you to see. This is what the passage is telling us. Okay, first of all, I think it's interesting. The bridegroom's arrival is announced with what? It says here, a cry could also mean a shout. Isn't that what Jesus says? When he comes, there'll be a what? The shout of the archangel? So when the bridegroom is announced, there's a shout. The bridegroom's coming. That, of course, gets people woken up. All right, it's the middle of the night. Let's get woken up. But the problem is this. Here's what I want you to see. The foolish were caught totally unprepared for the bridegroom's coming. Totally unprepared. They were totally shocked when he came. They weren't ready. They weren't ready at all. And there he was. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, here you are, you know, I've had this happen a few times where, you know, at, 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 you know you're, you're sitting around your house and you're down to your skivvies and you're just kind of lounging around. You're not expecting anybody to show up. And then somebody shows up. Where's my pants? Did you ever have that happen to you? Uh, maybe too much information for some of you, okay? But, but listen to me. You ever had that kind of a freak out moment where somebody shows up and you didn't expect them to come?
0: And you're like, ah, what do I do?
1: I think they're going to have a freak out moment when Jesus shows up, right? Because they're totally unprepared, totally unprepared for him coming. They should have been ready, but they were foolish. They squandered their time. The issue isn't that they went to sleep. Everybody went to sleep because the delay was long. The point was is that when they needed to be ready, they worked. Do you understand? That's the point here. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me now at verses 10 through 12. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But they answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now here is the amazing thing. This should give you an eye pause. Listen to this point. Last minute efforts are meaningless as the door will be shut to the foolish. Last minute efforts. See, here's what they said. Oh, you know, they go to the wise, go give us some of your oil, give us some of your oil. We can share, can't we? And And the wise are wise. They say, no, no, if I give you, I may run out. You go buy some. So they go away to wherever in a village would be to buy more oil. But in the meantime, the bridegroom comes. Here comes the bridegroom with his procession. Everybody's going in for the celebration, the wedding feast. And what? They close the door. That's it. And so here they come, the foolish, with their oils now ready, with their lamps ready, let us in! Two words, two things in this passage that Is very haunting to me. Number one, the door is shut. There's a finality to that. Boom. And then the second thing that is very shocking to me, it almost parallels something that Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. They said, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, that echoes back over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in that day that they will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these great things in your name? And it lists a bunch of things there that they did. They were casting out demons. They were doing all these wonderful things in Jesus' name. And here's what it says. Depart from me. I never knew you. And that word there expresses an intimacy, a personal knowledge. God, Jesus never knew that they weren't saved. They thought they were. Do you understand what I'm saying? They thought they were. See, this is the reality. The reality of what we're getting to is just like what we talked about the last time we looked at this passage in chapter 24. What separates people here is the people who truly know him, who are ready for him, versus those who give lip service to knowing him and quote, they're waiting for Jesus. But the reality is that their lives don't really show that they're ready for him. And then they're caught off guard, and then they find themselves left out. And last-minute efforts aren't going to mean anything. They had all the time to prepare for it, right, didn't they? They had all the time. There are no wedding crashers in Jesus' day when he comes. So then notice verse 13. He gives us something to think about. He sums it all up. He sums this parable up in one verse. And this is what you and I need to hear. One verse, okay? Here it is. Verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch. Now, that word watch isn't just looking. It means preparation. It's kind of like somebody who's standing guard on the wall, and he's watching for the enemy. He's prepared for whatever. That's the issue here. Are you ready? So here's, here's here's the thing I want you to see. Here's my final point. It is your responsibility to be ready for his sudden arrival. It's your responsibility. Your responsibility. Are you ready? See, that's actually something all of us need to really come to grips with, right? How do we live our life now? And, and that means you don't, some people say, well, don't make any plans. Well, that's, pardon me, you got to make plans. All right? But you also need to hold on loosely to those plans because what? You're living for what? When any time he will come back. So that means you need to be ready. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to give you the same two points I've been giving you. So here's the two thoughts, okay? First one. How real is the second coming of Jesus Christ to you? How real is that to you? You say, well, come on, George. I mean, seriously, um, you can't fault me. It's been 2,000 years. I understand that. But let me ask you a question. I guess I should pose it a little bit different. It's more than just the second coming. How real is the reality that you're going to meet Jesus to you? Because Jesus may tarry, but you don't know how long you have to live, right? Because one day you might meet him. And you don't know when that is. But how real is that meeting to you? Because one day you are going to meet him. One day he's either going to come for you as he comes for the church, or you're going to meet him in death. How real is that to you? I mean, that sobers you up a little bit, right? That should get you focused where you need to be. If you think about that, how real is that to you? For a lot of us, I'll be honest with you, we're kind of like, I have to admit, I'm like this sometimes, I'm kind of like the foolish. I'm not ready. But I'm constantly being reminded you need to be ready. You need to be ready to leave. Hold on loosely to this world. How real is the second coming of Jesus to you? Here's the second one. Does this future reality affect your life now? This is something to think about. Does the future reality, do you understand? Does the future reality affect your life now? Does it? Does the reality that Jesus could come for you at any time affect your life now about how you're living your life, what your focus is? I'll be honest with you, when you know you have a limited time, I'll be honest with you, you really think about what you're living for. You know, as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I have have been there for folks who have left this world and been with them along the process. I'm going to tell you right now, I have never heard anybody ever say, I wish I had more time in the office. They always say, I wish I had more time with family. Always. Because things get into focus about what's important, right? See, this is the issue. When you understand that at any time he could come back, that should get everything into focus about what's important in life, right? Are you ready? That's the point Jesus is making here. Yes, you know all the details. Yeah, but what is that knowledge doing for you? Is it affecting your life to be ready? That's the point here in this passage.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you.